0: Welcome to Sacred Justice, a podcast that features discourse rooted in the pursuit of justice as sacred practice. Our weekly discussions reflect on current events, art, media, theology, and how they intersect with the movements for freedom and liberation. We hope that through these conversations, we can foster inclusivity by expanding our learning opportunities. We hope to cultivate digital community beyond the confines of our campus. And we hope to reconnect the church's social and spiritual callings. Join us for the journey. hello friends welcome back to sacred justice we are in our two title series I couldn't decide between honest holiday Ben or sacred adventure Ooh. um so I <laughs> this podcast series um, has like a, a title and a subtitle. It's a sacred adventure during the season of Advent, but it's also an honest holiday podcast where we talk about some real stuff. It's not all, mm. you know, deck the halls over here. We gotta tackle some <laughs> real things, right? Um <laughs> so I, I'm Mia McLean and I'm here with
1: Ben Boswell.
0: And we're back. Uh last week we started off just kind of, you know, talking about what this time of year is really like uh, mm-hmm. not just the romanticization and the eagerness to get to Christmas and cheesy movies but we also talked about you know Thanksgiving and mm-hmm. some of our favorite foods around this time of year um things that are bringing us joy as we prepare and we all, we talked a little bit about some of the the challenges of getting together with family I know I talked yeah. a little bit about um You know, last year spending Thanksgiving alone and it was beautiful and um, it (laughs) definitely helped me create some greater boundaries around how I want to spend my holidays, which is different from what was given to me, handed down to me as a child. I don't want to go back to some of those things. And so we talked about that. What else did we share, Ben, when we were talking about Thanksgiving and food and, and getting together with family?
1: Oh, well, I've already told my family about some of the things that you have on your your Thanksgiving table. And trying to get them ready that I might I might whip up a little something crazy this year to bring to Thanksgiving. You know, my mom and then my mom said, do you mean Brussels sprouts? I said, no, mom, crazier, crazier than Brussels sprouts. So we've been given the task of bringing like a a, a side or and and or a dessert. So, um, you know, Lucy's going to cook something. I don't know what she's going to cook, but she's going to make something. last year. She made pecan pie and blueberry pie, which we were not expecting, but she just kind of made blueberry marshmallow pie. And you, it doesn't sound great, but it was actually delightful. She made a, a marshmallow heart in the middle of this blueberry pie. It was so good. It was Wait, delightful. so does
0: Lucy do this all by herself? Or are you assisting? Are you sous chefing? What do you, you know? I'm sort of
1: sous chefing. I'm like kind of in the kitchen. I'm not like, like, I'm just kind of helping her get ingredients. She's just kind of making it up herself. The p- blueberry pie was totally her own creation, totally random. She just put it together. Wow. Oh, yeah no yeah yeah she's not as interested in the sides as I am <laughs> she's more interested in like the desserts and okay. pies and ba- baking and all that so uh we'll probably do a little bit of that again in a couple of weeks it's coming up uh yes. now the people listening to this podcast are like full on into advent at this point
0: but right, um, right.
1: we're still preparing for that
0: well, you know, Christmas and people who celebrate Christmas, that's coming up and that's another big food holiday, though. You know, my my goal for Christmas is always to do something different from Thanksgiving. I just don't want the same meal twice. You know, I grew up in a family wow. where we basically had the same meal kind of twice, you know, back to back and I'm just not doing that. I need something different. I want some seafood. I got to do something different. So, right. um I'm trying it could to be three
1: meals. Like there's a New Year's tradition too, right? Oh, yeah. So it's like Thanksgiving. Well, Christmas. New Year's has and its New
0: own Year's. New Year's has its own food tradition at least in right. my culture. Right. Uh, you know, the black-eyed peas, collard greens, you know, ham. It's not necessarily the same thing. Like I don't remember eating a whole bunch of mac and cheese and things for New no, Year's. don't know. No.
1: See now, that's, um, yeah, my tradition was also that yeah. black-eyed peas, collard greens, but we did stewed tomatoes with the black-eyed peas.
0: Mm, black-eyed peas
1: and stewed tomatoes mixed together.
0: You know, I have been speaking of food. I um, I never liked black-eyed peas growing up. I don't know what it was about the look or the the smell. It just mm. it wasn't for me. Um, but recently, I had food. I think it was from a Ghanaian West restaurant. Um, it was definitely West African. And the way they made those black eyed peas made me want to shout. Mm. I was like, I got to figure out what they're doing to make me want to eat black eyed peas. Because I never wanted to eat them as a kid. So, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. yeah, there's some, I mean, you know, we there's some awesome recipes for black eyed peas. I made I made some last year uh, around this time of the year. And I, I did my own version of stewed tomatoes. I don't think I got it right. I got to try again. Yeah. But, yeah.
0: I mean, it's I've cool. heard. I heard somebody on Twitter say last year that she finally, she's a cook. She said she finally gave up on Black Eyed Peas. She didn't like them. She kept trying to make herself like them. Yeah, yeah. And she said she just made a different bean last year, which is probably what I'm going to do, just sort of stepping away from a tradition, as we talked about last week. I, I you know, I love red beans and rice. I love mm. black beans. I can make, I could put my foot in some black beans, you know? Um, why do I keep trying to make myself want? <laughs> Black like IPs. Like, what is that about?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. We don't have to like everything.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. That's so, good. So anyway, I hope you all ate good for Thanksgiving. If you celebrated that, I hope you're going to eat good um, throughout the holiday season. This is a, a season's a feast. And we want you to um, if you are able um, to share some of your feast with others who may not yeah. be able to feast, On their own. Um, So this week, what do we have going on, Ben, in in news and culture? I mean, what do we have going on? We have so much going on. What's Hmm. what's coming up for you?
1: What's coming up for me? I mean, we got this uh, this infrastructure bill. I think that's been on my mind. Although I saw this incredible article today that just was like, "What already?" The bill hadn't even been signed yet. I mean, as we're recording, it hasn't been signed yet. It will be when y'all are listening to this, but. And already the religious groups are saying they don't agree with the child care initiative because it requires them to participate in non-discrimination provisions. And so the, I just think it's we should always take stock of the moments when you think, wait a second, these are Jesus people that want to be able to discriminate. They have said now, not even if you give us free money – to provide for poor children, for childcare for poor children, you're paying us as an institution, a church or whatever that's running a childcare institution. We don't want it because with your money comes the requirement to not discriminate, and therefore, if we can't discriminate, we will not only that we'll turn down free money in order to discriminate again. Mm-hmm. And not talking about just like um, racial, right? I mean, it's it's mostly LGBTQ it's women's uh, ability to 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 choose and it's also in this case their ability to only hire people to work with their children who are also believers therefore they can maintain religious instruction at the highest level as if that's it's necessary for them to have believers to be able to keep the religious instruction at a high level i i don't know i guess just listening to that as an organization that hopefully one day will be able to benefit from that childcare A provision in the in the infrastructure bill, as we try to continue to figure out what it means to be a church for our community, you know, I just look at that and I think, God, how did we get to a point where like Jesus people in America want to discriminate? They are now the 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 face of discrimination,
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, Yeah. um, that's not surprising, but it's just when you see people also working against their what can what can benefit them. Right. discouraging, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: right, and not to mention that, but like even if if your mission is to care for the poor, which I'm not sure they would agree with, but if your mission is to care for the poor or provide services for your community, this is a it's like they're gonna give you give you a reason to give you an ability to do this, they're gonna make it easier for you to do it, and you're just gonna turn it down it's it's sad, that's really sad,
0: oh <sighs> yeah, yeah, wow, um well, you know on the note of being sad, but not, not really, not really surprised or sad, just sort of pissed off, <laughs> I, yeah. you know, which is what I, what my usual stands for a lot of uh, relatable content. Just, you know, I'm not just, dis- I'm not sad. I don't even know if I'm disappointed. I'm just pissed off that we're still having these conversations, but, um, I was on Twitter as I usually am and this weekend and, um, a popular preacher, who I don't usually name people but I'm so tired of him that I want people to just go look him up and and see how ridiculous he is but his name is Mike Todd he's pastor of a church you know evangelical leaning black pastor of an evangelical leaning church has no theological education just a bunch of charisma which is what happens you know with with <laughs> men uh particularly men in these circles yep you just have to have some charisma um <laughs> you have to wear cool tennis shoes and have a nice haircut
1: why did I spend so much time and money on these degrees, Mia?
0: You could be rich. You could have a best. I mean, he has a book that's basically about is basically evangelical relationships and he's made, you know, a lot of money off of it. So anyway, so, you know, I I, I've been studying sort of the way white evangelical spaces for years, I've been studying the way white evangelical operations recruit black men to join their forces to, um, So a lot of these Black evangelical-leaning pastors of these multiracial, and that's in quotations, multiracial or multicultural churches are really backed by white groups like the Orchard Group, Mm. um, some of the church planting groups around. And I know this because I was a part of a church plant that was backed by some of these
1: Mm. organizations.
0: Um, And they love to find a Black man to make them feel like they're doing diverse stuff, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So they're just, you know, it's a black man preaching white supremacy, essentially, and white patriarchy and misogyny and all the things. But he released a clip talking about um, dating is not in the Bible, because dating is not of God. It's really about courting. And you know, oh boy. The, the typical I can't even get into it because I didn't listen to the whole thing because I already knew where he was going. But purity culture trash. Right. Back Pierce to that.
1: I kiss dating, 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 dating. Goodbye. Do you, you do you know about well, that? You know,
0: well, you know, funny. One of our members, Angie, was following me on Twitter and she she responded to the, the tweet like that I had, like, commented on. Like, this reminds me of I kiss dating. Goodbye.
1: <laughs> that was my generation's and Angie's generation's like purity culture movement. And that guy. Somebody's just look up the guy that wrote that book. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. I kiss dating goodbye and see what happened after he right. exactly. throughout his life.
0: Exactly. <laughs> we, you know, those of you who know know, but go and find out for yourself. I'm not gonna even tell you. But um, so this man, he's been on a he's been on a relationship. He has a book called Relationship Goals. He preaches about relationships. That's basically all he talks about, right? And so when people say things like dating is not in the Bible, of course not. Women were property. I mean, we can go on and on, right? There was no dating because women were property. So it wasn't like, anyway, I'm not even getting it. Yeah, it's
1: not that. like David dated Bathsheba. Right. As right. Bill Gaffney, Dr. Gaffney pointed out to us.
0: Right. Like, I'm not going to even go down the theological rabbit hole because it's literally a waste of time.
1: <laughs> so ridiculous. And my
0: point for this story is that I am tired of seeing my peers waste their time trying to make people who do not want to be theologically sound or theologically developed hear their point of view. I'm so, like, I'm over it. Like, I saw this conversation on Twitter and I just watched others have the conversation. And, you know, some of the threads were good. People were talking about how. Um, A lot of the relationship advice men are people who got married super young. They don't even know what dating is because they never experienced having to do this as an adult. Like, you know, so Mm -hmm. why would you take advice from somebody who doesn't even have, you know, the extensive experience? (laughs) All these different arguments. But what it reminded me of, which kind of reflects on what I said last week, is boundaries. Mm. And how, you know, years ago, I was just like, I'm done. I'm done. Coming from Mike Mike Todd on Twitter, I'm done. Right. His people, his followers, do not care. Yeah, they do not care. Many, especially the women who you think would be onto his foolishness and leave it alone. There are women who want to buy into this culture, and we just have to be okay. With the fact that they want to be subject to this culture, there's Mm -hmm. no amount of you know Cone or Dolores Williams or Ebony Marshall Terman or Karen Baker Fletcher I can drop on these people to make them want to leave that culture. Mm -mm. And what you know, even thinking about the holidays, you know, um, there Mm -hmm. there are some people in my family they're they're entrenched in some cultures that there is nothing I can do or say right which is why i just don't show up to many things right and so what do our boundaries look like then around the holidays like what are some boundaries you've had to put up regarding um Mm. just just being okay or not being okay with um just understanding that there are going to be some folks who you can't change their mind
1: Mm. you know yeah that's interesting i I don't think enough people are doing what you're doing related to their holiday preparation. Mm-hmm. And that is to to think through what is their responsibility to their own psychological and mental well-being. What is their responsibility to themselves? What is their self-care responsibility going into the holidays? And if they think, "Oh, I have to have this meal and I have to see these people and I have to talk about politics." No you don't.
0: Mm-hmm. Make a
1: decision. You know, one of the, you know, some of the healthiest advice that I hear about the holiday dinners around politics is just say, no, we're not going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's how you get through a dinner if you need to. Now, everything is political. So good luck even talking about, you know, food without yeah. getting into politics. But, but I think there you just have to put brackets on where the conversation is going to go down a road that is not healthy for people and is going to be harmful. And what, what, why go down that road if you know people are so entrenched in their opinions that they're not going to go anywhere? I, I think that that we are in a time where it, it's so divided and people are so hot about it. So angry about it. And also don't really want to listen mm-hmm. to each other about it. So if there's not a spirit of reciprocity and open mindedness and openness to dialogue and discussion and growth, what's the point? What's the point? Yeah. Um, folks don't want to grow. Folks don't want to learn. You know, I mean, there's a there's this quote about like you, you have to get uncomfortable to grow, to change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if there's not a desire for any of that around the holidays. The desire in the holidays is for people to be comfortable. But then they show up at these things and then they just they're 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 all out saying whatever the hell they want to say, feeling comfortable around friends. And they're just saying things that are harming people, hurting people. With no one there to provide that, and I mean, do you want to be the one person at your holiday party that's, you know, the wet blanket on there, you know, um, you know, political rants or Christian, you know, rants or whatever? Yeah, I think you just have to put up boundaries, clear boundaries, yeah. uh, and decide where our priorities lie. So, like, I, I picked up Lucy from school this week, and she was like, "Well, we were talking about." thanksgiving in school and i was like oh yeah well what happened about things what the first thanksgiving she said oh i, I said oh the first one okay tell me, about, tell me about the first one and she said well she at least she got it right she got the name of, of the indigenous community right the wampanoag and she was talking about the pilgrims and in her school they're you know they're totally glossing over what really happened at that first Thanksgiving. Well, first of all, it was it, the whole thing's a myth. There's no first Thanksgiving. Right, right. Um, the whole thing's a myth, and it's totally decontextualized from European settler colonization that was happening at the time and the long relationship that the Pilgrims had with the Wampanoag. So I'm like, I'm like, okay, you tell me what you learned, and then and she tells me the story, and they even got to make little Wampanoag huts in her school, right? Okay. They make pilgrim huts, but they made Wampanoag huts. Okay. Uh And then I said, okay, so I'm going to pull up an article and you're going to read it to me as we drive. And this is what really happened. Mm -hmm. So I pulled up this article for her. I think it was from the Smithsonian and just said, okay, just read about this. And she started reading. She's like, what? What? They did what? You know, and she's learning as she goes. And I've had to do this before. You know, it's not like it ever goes away, right? She Mm -hmm. can learn about the Wampanoag every year. I'm going to have to tell her every year about this real story of the relationship between the Pilgrims and the Wampanoag every year. And so I I think there's this sense of, like, I have to make a decision. Like, my focus is her, her education, her development, her growth, my own preparation for this season, and what I need to do to take care of myself mentally, emotionally, physically, and what I think is my responsibility. And then my role in in our community, with my friendships and my relationships, how I want to take that. But I don't have to take on anybody else's pain. I don't have to take on anybody else's drama. My goal is not to save all the white supremacists, uh, you know, in my family or elsewhere. Mm
0: -hmm. During
1: Advent, that's not my goal. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I don't have. I'm not going to try to change every political mind in my family. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy people, and I'm gonna put up clear boundaries. And I think that's where, and this is a key thing about any place we go. As individuals, like if we're going to a place and it is stressing us out, we have to do two things. Ask ourselves why and do I need to continue to be in that space?
0: Yep. Yep. Ah, oh, it's I'm telling you.
1: <laughs> Not many people ask that question, though. I think we feel nope. compelled to do things that we don't have to do. No, nope. we're free. Yeah. Right. <laughs> why are we making har- choices that are harmful to us? You know, so they feel that freedom. I think.
0: Oh, that that was so freeing two years ago when I finally decided that was it—that I was not supporting <laughs> myself to certain things, and that, and that the 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 wonders of yesteryear were not coming back. Right, yeah, the times yeah. like we mentioned last episode, you used to play cards until midnight and laugh with your cut. That's not coming back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not. And so, how do you create new? Routines. And so I'm really excited about this Thanksgiving to have new routines, you know, spending it with my friends that I actually enjoy. And um, that I can actually, you know, have good conversation with and drink with and stay up until two o'clock in the morning with and not try to recreate something of childhood that brings me anxiety and Mm. then also can bring grief if things go left, which they can often.
1: (laughs) Well, I think about chosen family, right? Chosen Mm -hmm. family. uh, It would have been interesting back to that uh, pastor uh, that you were mentioning, Todd, Pastor Todd, is that his name? Uh
0: Whatever you can call Um, Pastor if you want, but um, what
1: would have been interesting would have would would have been for him not to say there's no dating in the Bible, but would have been more interesting for him to say, outside of Song of Songs, there's no romance in the whole Bible. mm Hmm. There's no romantic love depicted in the Bible except for the Book of Song of Songs. Can Mm -hmm. you think of a story? I mean, there's like one where like maybe you could get say that like Jacob and you know working all those years for Rachel. And ended up with Leah and then working all those years more Mm -hmm. just so Rachel is that love? I don't know. That sounds like stupidity to me. But anyway, all that, all that, you know, and that was about money. It wasn't just about looks, right? So he did like, I mean, Leah was not that nice on the eyes, they say. So, I mean, that whole text is just so patriarchal. Yeah. But there's not a lot of romantic love in the Bible. Even Joseph and Mary, talk about chosen family. Joseph makes a choice to adopt. Jesus as his own, even though Jesus is not his own. Yeah. And then to go forward with Mary, you know, he didn't understand what was happening. How could he,
0: Yeah, you know,
1: he's making a choice on faith based on Mary's word. You know, in the back of his mind, he's always thinking, mm, who was she with, you know, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> his whole life. He's probably wondering, <laughs> is this for real? You know, he dies before Jesus is even in his ministry. So who knows what he thought. really yeah. happened? So he chooses family. So I think there's a sense of like, You know, some of the romantic stuff, especially thinking of the romantic stuff. This is what's so interesting about this holiday, which is leading up to the birth of Jesus and all the Hallmark movies that you and I have talked about for years. And what are they, their their sort of vision, their eschatology is a happy ending that usually ends up in some reunification, relationship, wedding. Yes. Always heteronormative. Yeah, I mean sometimes they try to play with that where like the woman actually has a job. But like it's not it's not very no, no,
0: no. no but they don't actually let her do her job. She has to leave New York City. Her no, job yeah. to come home and work on a farm and and, and then falls in love with the farmhand and then
1: yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. And the farmhand somehow is gonna support her.
0: Right. I don't understand this. There's nothing
1: practical about these stories.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! This At always- least
1: in the Bible, the the father's like, no, no, no. You're gonna work for like seven years for her. Then you're gonna work like seven years for her. Like this is this is economic. Marriage is economic. What are you talking about? It's romantic. In the yeah. Bible, it's all economic, right? So there's there's a a missing piece of the way that what is hallmarks. So I guess what I'm saying is like the hallmark advent. To get back into the advent theme question of what is this? What is advent? Is a hallmark is saying Advent is um, a time of preparation for the romantic uh, culmination at the end, the relationship that you've always been waiting for, mm-hmm. um, the job you've always been waiting for, the child mm. you've always been waiting for, the family you've always been waiting for, mm-hmm. the church you've always been waiting for, the world you've always been waiting for. And interestingly, that's not really what, ad, that's not exactly what Advent's about, biblically speaking, or theologically speaking. It is a time of preparation and longing for something that is not here yet, but it, it's, not, it's not like the perfect thing, perfect family, perfect relationship, perfect snowfall in the background, and perfect, Christ, perfect Christmas is another way to put it. Perfect yeah. Christmas with all the trimmings and everything like that. It's really about longing for the world to turn upside down you know the longing for the world to become the kingdom longing for deliverance liberation freedom salvation longing for you know what it means that god takes on flesh in the incarnation what that means for the world and i i just think that we we've made it We've made it so sentimental. I'm not saying that anybody is wrong to watch a holiday movie. It's just important to distinguish that part of the holiday season from what Advent is really supposed to be about, which is a season of longing that is really about the second coming of Jesus. Mm -hmm. You you read about the first coming and celebrate the first coming, but you do so by preparing for the second coming, Mm -hmm. which is what Christians are supposed to be waiting for. I don't know if I buy that either, but all... The reason that we struggle is all the Advent texts are these apocalyptic, especially the first two weeks are these apocalyptic texts about the end of the world. That's yeah. why we we had Advent apocalypse a couple years ago. Yeah. And, you know, it's about the end of the world. It's about the second coming, the return of Christ, the, the world becoming the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Um, and so I think, I want to, I think back about, yes, we need to lean into longing, waiting, anticipating, Um, expectation prep. And then I think we, we have to ask ourselves, okay, what are we preparing for? Can we distinguish what we're preparing for? Uh, Reverend Tar Gibbs just preached a great sermon about longing, asking these questions. What are we longing for? What are we really hoping for? What are we waiting for? And so uh, as we lean into this season of Advent, as you participate in a Bible study, as you have an Advent devotional, as you come to worship and you reflect on the, on the sermons and the preaching and the music, it is a season of longing and waiting and anticipating. And it's not just to open presence at the end of Christmas, right? Uh, or to have that perfect meal or to have that family gathering or to have that snowfall or that feeling of euphoria. It, it's We are supposed to be longing for something that, that drives our preparation in a particular direction mm-hmm. for the world that we're hoping for, for what we think um, God is bringing, birthing.
0: So back to my original frustration with, this pastor on twitter um do you think do you think the the uphill battle is worth it i feel like every year we're trying to reclaim advent or at least some people are right there's like we don't rush to buy your gifts and don't celebrate don't put your tree up and i have not put my tree up for those of you who are wondering um i mean by the time you listen to this episode <laughs> i have but yes, <laughs>
1: of course you will
0: but but you know there's this there's this like you know the i would say the high liturgical purists who are like don't skip over advent we have to celebrate it we have to honor the true meaning and i feel like every year we are up against this battle and not just a consumerism battle but like people are taking their holiday pictures with their kids and they're really excited for this and is it fair to us for is it fair to them for us to keep saying You know, actually, you know, you know, don't do that. This is actually antithetical to what the Advent season is supposed to be. And you're operating out of alignment with like how much more can we do this before it just sort of seems like we're wasting our time? I know we're not. I know that's ministry. So ministry is ministry. And it's always going to feel like we're wasting our time to a certain extent. I think
1: so. It's interesting. There's been this. There's this long tension liturgically related to what is what is the purpose of Advent. What it's it's that's been going on for a long time. Um, should we be celebrating the first coming or anticipating the second? That's been a long debate. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you wait? Do you wait by holding off everything until the end, or do you wait by um, beginning to celebrate? So the argument against the liturg- so first let me just admit that i have been a liturgical purist about advent many times in my life <clears throat> <laughs> well, one church i was at um when we <laughs> we hired a new music minister and he and i conceived of an advent season where we literally did not sing any christmas hymns christmas carols until christmas eve and we sang all these other things in preparation and we were like real purists about it no Nothing that's related to the Jesus is born. Nothing that says Jesus is born until we get there. And we really went in deep on what is Advent. How do we think about it? Um, and there's there's ways of around this theologically. Like Joy to the World is an Advent hymn because the Lord is come is an old way of saying the Lord is coming. It's an old English way of saying the Lord is coming. Joy to the world, the Lord is coming. We think it's the Lord's already here. So we're really happy and we sing joy to the world. Yeah. But so there are some hymns that we think are Advent hymns that are not Advent hymns, and Advent hymns that are not actually Advent. You know, all these Christmas hymns, and you can find ways around it. Oh, mm-hmm. come, O come, Emmanuel. You could sing that every week. You know, come along, expected Jesus. All you can do all the like preparation stuff. I think where mm-hmm. where this battle comes is like the consumer culture is driving us to jump into Christmas on October thirty first or before. And the whole point of Advent is to learn how to wait and to learn the art of Mm -hmm. patient endurance and to learn the art of longing and how to long, how to prepare and wait and sit and be patient, Um, which, of course, most Americans can't do in a on-demand culture, in a quick-fix culture, in a I can get anything I want on Amazon today in a, they just got a Chewy's down the road. Mm -hmm. And if I want bones for my my dog, I can get them by four o'clock, right? So I could mm-hmm. order them right now and they'll be here. There's just this, this speed of everything. So I think it's a time, regardless of how you approach it liturgically, I'm mm-hmm. not as much of a snob on this as I once was, because I realized that a yeah. lot of that liturgical snobbery was connected to a Western European way of celebrating the season, right? It was mm-hmm. deeply connected to a European centered, particularly Germanic holiday tradition that came out of Lutheranism that then spread to Methodism and others all around these traditions of preparing children not to be all about the presence, but to try to use some other tools pedagogically. So, for instance, like the Advent wreath, which a lot of people think we've had forever and ever and ever, wasn't even invented till 1868, which is as far as the history of Christianity. That's 1800 years after Jesus. Right. So that we didn't have the Advent wreath. We didn't have Advent love, hope, peace, joy. We didn't have any of that until 1868 and even now there's a variety of advent themes for each of the weeks that have been tried and done all over and they don't correspond with the liturgical texts that are in the revised common lectionary so somebody's always some preachers always mm-hmm. trying to force love onto some apocalyptic text or hope onto some you know john the baptist text because the themes don't line up we're we've got it all mishmashed together um so I, a lot of people don't know that the advent wreath is was originally thought to be the, cr- the crown of thorns so that even while you're celebrating mm. this hope peace love joy you're always remembering that the, the thing being born is going to die right mm. so i mean that's where the advent wreath comes from that's part of the original traditions of the wreath i, I think people don't know their traditions well enough they don't know why they do the things that they do uh, we want to make things simple or remember them the way that we we were as a child or whatever. And I think it's time for us to kind of like say, okay, what is the purpose of Advent? If it's going to be, if we're not going to be liturgical purists and we're going to sing Christmas carols, then let's, let's take a moment to add to our season, something that we're longing for and hoping for and expecting that we do have to wait for, and is not going to be here wrapped in a shiny package waiting for us on December 25th.
0: Okay. Yes. And I guess my question is kind of relates to the mythological figure conversation is, I mean, like I went to a church for years in Harlem that didn't celebrate anything this time of year. Wasn't no Advent, wasn't no Christmas. It was just regular (laughs) church. Maybe, maybe the Sunday of Christmas, they actually put a tree up and they sang some something, but it was like a regular sunday like we didn't do nothing and i appreciated that because um i appreciated his theology behind behind that Uh, also a duke person but i appreciate his theology behind that like you know this is our sunday and people are coming to church with all sorts of pain and grief and we can't just be singing Mm. joy to the world from november until january and there are people who need breakthroughs and people who need to be healed um not physically like know but of some things so i would rather take that approach at this season of my life than the approach of um sort of forcing an advent traditional advent to Mm. happen or even the approach of you know bursting people's mythological bubbles i mean i think about the story of my pat my cousins who are pastors and they never told their children about Santa Claus. They basically said they're, you know, they're they're super Christian. They're like, we don't ain't, ain't no Santa Claus buying <laughs> you these gifts. We buy these gifts. And so, but the problem was f- their their son who was like 4 or 5 at the time was going to preschool in school like Santa Claus right, is right.
1: real. <laughs> and first and all these other kids, were so yes.
0: calling. Yes. the parents are calling my cousin like, "How dare your son, you know, do anyway." So there's all of this, you know, um I I'm not trying to burst the the bubbles of people here, but I, I just don't know how to actually have the honest conversation without bursting people's bubbles.
1: Yeah, so, yeah <laughs> that's know, a really think, important question because I think there is a place in our world for belief in mythology and traditions that are, are fun right. to get involved, you know, practices like Santa Claus or you know, even the Easter bunny or a tooth fairy, or, you know, you can just go on back Halloween, right. And all that comes with Halloween now and the mythical figures, belief in magic, you know, mystery, all that can be very, very healthy and helpful. Um, And also there's a lot of that in Christianity, right? I mean, study Joseph Campbell and the history of mythology and how the stories work and the, the hero genre and how the gospel kind of turns that on its head I mean, there's so much there that can be very helpful for. Uh, I don't think we we need to steal magic away from people's childhood. I I think that's not necessarily healthy. So, you would not find me to be a fundamentalist on this. On the other side, which is like no no discussions of mystery at all. You know, don't talk about Santa. There was an old sermon we used to do that we would we would fake preach this sermon that we heard from this um, evangelical white preacher about Santa and Satan being similar letters and like you would go through the letters and you preach about a different version of how you're going to hell based on each of the letters you know (laughs) um and so (laughs) it was kind of fun we used to do that each year like in in college and seminary but we're kind of picking at the idea that like you can get overblown with this sort of like abstinence right so this is puritanical right the puritans also abolished all of advent and christmas they didn't you did not Puritans did not celebrate either Advent or Christmas. It was banned as a pagan celebration. It was not considered to be uh, welcomed. And I think that's problematic. I think what they're trying to do is Mm -hmm. to create this sense of uber piety that is also unhealthy. Again, it's kind of like purity culture. It's another kind of purification culture. Purifying your Advent of anything Christmas is the same as trying to purify your life of dating and the culture around you. I mean, there's, it's this idea that somehow everything is, everything in our culture is evil and we have to get rid of all of it. That and there's nothing redeeming about anything, but there are some re- really redeeming things about drinking eggnog and eating f- good food and taking care of your body and, and being with friends that you like and even having a drink now and then, and, you know, having some rituals and traditions that matter to you and your family, right? Like that's, that's,
0: I'm laughing because you said have a drink now and then. I'm like, it's always now and then.
1: Well, yeah. Now is now and then is tomorrow. Then is next. Yeah. Exactly. Now and then.
0: No, it's terrible. For the, for, it's also, I mean, we, I think, you know, as we get into, move through this series, we do want to talk about The devastating effects of this time so alcoholism and addiction and grief i want to move into that next week um but i i the the feasting is important for our mental health Mm -hmm. and our sanity Mm -hmm. is what i'm hearing Mm -hmm. you say well and
1: i think so that's one of the reasons why a lot of people do appreciate advent is because the season is so filled with false optimism um false positive positivity toxic positivity um, that's yeah. not drawn from a real place. Now, like, you know, there's also some like people who are, who really need something to celebrate because life is awful and Christmas provides that. And I'm with those folks this year. Come on, let's bring it. Bring on the goodness, uh, bring on the happy, happy times and festivities and singing and fun. But, um, cause we need that, especially after all this COVID stuff, we didn't get to have Christmas last year, you know? Well, those yeah. of us who yeah. tried to be safe didn't have to have a real didn't get to have a real Christmas last year. Right. It's um, so we've had to have this sort of like muted celebration for a while. Now it's time to really like get at it, being safe still, but really get at it and really celebrate that. That said, though, there's a lot of folks at this time of year who are grieving. And I think we have to be sensitive that those are the folks who are going to love Advent, right? You come in and you realize mm-hmm. you're waiting. You're waiting for what? You're waiting for your grief to subside. You're waiting for your pain to go away. You're waiting for, and by the way, not everybody's grief is related to the loss of a loved one. Sometimes their grief is, is, the, is still waiting. Their, their grief is expectation. They're waiting for something yeah. that doesn't seem to ever come, and they're grieving for the fact that it's not arrived yet right? It's like waiting for Godot. Yeah. Always waiting for this thing to come that never gets here is another grief, you know, and that's the other thing. Christmas yeah. comes and goes. And then December 26, you're looking back and saying, did I get what I wanted? No, because you didn't know what you wanted. You, you know, you didn't take time right. to really think about, you know, what it is that you really, really want, what you really need, what you really think needs to come in the world. And so, you know, I think, I think we got to wrestle with that.
0: I think one of the, since you mentioned December 26th, I think one of the hardest parts being an adult, well, one of the hardest parts since leaving New Orleans is that these days come when the stuff is over and it's just over. Whereas in New Orleans, and I've probably mentioned this before on the podcast, we go from Christmas to New Year's, which is like, you know, after Christmas is over, you have Mm -hmm. this other thing that's Mm -hmm. coming that's like, ooh, Mm -hmm." a new year. And then we go immediately from New Year's to Mardi Gras season. So, like Epiphany, king cakes start coming out, right? And it's ba- it's basically Mardi Gras season from Epiphany until yep. Ash Wednesday, right? The day before, the day after Mardi Gras. So the parades start rolling. There's this new kind of festival energy. And then after Mardi Gras, we're heading into sort of spring, Easter, Resurrection, and then after that, we're heading into festival season. I mean. It's like this back to back thing in New Orleans. I don't ever remember feeling like, oh, it's over. And I'm still sitting here with my whatever. I mean, I was also yeah. a kid. So, like, there was, you know, whatever. But but as an adult, it's like, oh, it's over. And I have to go back to work on Monday. <laughs> there is no like King Cake coming yeah, to save me. Yeah. There's no Mardi Gras coming to save me. And um, I, I find that interesting that your social location and where you're, lo- where you're, your resident is uh can have a lot well, to some do people this know as how well. to party
1: and that's in new orleans they yeah. know how to party we don't know how to party up up here in charlotte they don't know how to, we don't know how to party this place is all you know zipped up tight you know there's not a parade mm-hmm. for epiphany up here you know <laughs> there's no mardi gras parade yeah. you know it's kind of like we're back yeah. to business as usual get back to work you know get 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 back yeah. to making money mm-hmm. It's, it's not a parade festival atmosphere throughout the year. I think that also is one of the reasons we have – we lack some cultural um, institutions and structures. And people kind of – we've kind of joked around how, how, how is Asheville so funky uh, and Winston-Salem mm-hmm. so funky and Raleigh even so funky, but Charlotte doesn't have that kind of funky spirit to it. Um, what's going on with that? I think there's there's an inhibiting – we have these inhibitions – um, that, that are mm-hmm. uh, preventing us from fully celebrating, fully letting go and really getting into the spirit of having a real party. You know, it's like we're afraid or something that something might happen if we let people really enjoy themselves too much. I think that's probably Pur- Presbyterianism, you know, they're tied to the Puritans yeah. from way back. You know, it's, it, my, my, my uncle used to joke, if someone's having fun somewhere, a Puritan is upset. You know, that's the definition (laughs) of Puritanism. But, you know, to your point, I think there's a, yeah, the grief. um, It's interesting. There's a, we have to be mindful of the grief because the grief can lead to all sorts of longings for things that we don't necessarily Mm -hmm. want. And I'm using this as a segue to get into your new favorite show, Midnight Mass. And I know we don't have time for this.
0: Okay. 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 Before (laughs) we get there, I want to say that. Do you want to know what my favorite Christmas movie is? Do like, I really want to know? know?
1: Do I really want to know? I'm gonna I'm gonna hear it, but do I yeah. really want to know? I don't know. Go ahead, tell me.
0: It's not really. People don't think it's a Christmas movie, but I was reminded by a friend that okay. it is. It's actually a Broadway show.
1: Okay, tell me about it. No, oh, yeah, I can You, okay, oh you want me guess. What Broadway show <laughs> is also about Christmas?
0: It, man, it's not about but, okay, Christmas. But that's but the
1: it's, point. But it's, it's not but family. it's connected. Connected. Mm.
0: We'll give you three. Doo, 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 doo.
1: Um, <laughs> Annie, no rent. 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 Woo! You're you guess
0: right. Rent. You guess right? Yeah, rent has definitely
1: has some.
0: Advent. It opens up, you know. I did. I did the show ten years ago, so I've been. Well, almost eleven years ago. I've been reflecting on it lately. Just like the, I, I rewatched the movie last week, I think, and. I was like, oh yeah, this does open up mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve. And we sing the song Christmas time is. It's it's centered around Christmas, and there's all this joy, but there's also this underlying pain that continues to mm. escalate throughout the movie. People are dying of AIDS, people are sick, they have drug addictions, mm-hmm. all sorts of things. And we see the them come full circle. I think it's a span of a year. You know, one of the people has died from AIDS, and then the other girl, she almost dies from a drug, uh, Whatever. Um, but they gather around Christmas and it's this, you know, typical early 90s mm. New York, um, late 80s, early 90s. People are living in slums um, before things got cleaned up in parts mm. of New York City. Anyway, I was just thinking about how that's actually more of a Christmas movie than most things on mm. Hallmark Channel. Right. That there is they they ha- they make room for the celebration. But there is this knowing that this is not going to be it. But they still yeah. enjoy. There's, a, there's an enjoyment on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. They feast. And then, you know, life go, the, the terrible things about life go on. Evictions and the devastations of the uh, disease and everything else. I
1: think so. There's something really profound theologically that you've brought up for me with that. Is is the part of the problem with the liturgical cycle that we try to do highs and lows seasonally? Instead of trying to maintain mm-hmm. the fact that the highs and the lows are always together, in the same they're always moment, together, right? Yeah. So we're like, no, 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 let's do Advent and prepare and prepare and prepare. And then Christmas, yay! Instead of holding on, right? It's like the seasonal shifts as if that's how life is. But no, actually, life is pain and joy at the same moment.
0: And you can feel all of that at the same time, which is what I'm getting into uh, psychologically these days, the feeling of all the feelings at the same time. And how do we encourage that? And I think, you know, New Orleans or Louisiana is always either first or second as far as the happiest state in the country is usually Louisiana, Mississippi. Um, and it's also bottom of the list, 49 and fifty for social, like economically, it's just one of the poorest and most economically disenfranchised. So how are we able to have all these festivals and joy and things while also dealing with the fact that like our infrastructure is falling apart and that our coastline is disappearing? You can do that. Um, and I think Rent does a good job. It's a very hard movie, but it is a good job of, of showcasing.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of people are trying to do that in a much more secularized, um, or less careful way when they say, oh, Die Hard is my favorite Christmas movie, you know, with Bruce Willis. And they always have this tradition, family tradition Mm -hmm. of watching Die Hard. If folks don't know about this, look it up. It's like a whole thing because it is a Christmas movie. Like it's staged during Christmas. That's the definition of a Christmas movie. Is it Christmas during the movie? Christmas movie, Um, you know, and so that's what rents. So rent qualifies for that as well. Um, But I think, I think this idea of trying to hold this tension that there's pain and turmoil and frustration going on in the world. And it's also Christmas. So how do we, how do we kind of bring the two of these together like it's like one of the great comedy movies are about you know national lampoons christmas vacation it's the pain and it's like pain and joy and frustration family drama but also good things all mixed together that make it funny and make it interesting and i think yeah liturgically we try to buy we're trying to compartmentalize our emotional reactions and almost train our emotional reactions to like here's when we need to be sad and lamentful and, and prepare. And here's when we need to be joyful and happy. And what if you're like super happy in this time and then super sad at this time, how do you get into the celebration? It's almost a manipulation of your emotions. More worship would be better to try to find ways to, to engage both joy and sorrow at the same time, constantly, You know, it, it, finding ways for each individual to express the complexity of their emotions um, and not try to say, no, you have to feel this way now, and then we'll feel this way later.
0: Yeah, yeah. So okay, so I will give some time to Midnight <laughs> Mass. Okay, Ben, how are you making? I guess so. I guess you're I'm sitting here so thinking, resigned oh, so making, right
1: now. Like you're just like I don't want to do this.
0: I'm trying to figure out how this how this is fitting into what we're talking about. Not that it's not, I'm just trying to it's figure out how. It's a sense of how, grief
1: and longing you know, it, that the town, it's like, to me, it's a metaphor for, for church decline in America. So just so everybody knows there's a show on mid, called midnight mass on Netflix. It's about a small town uh, whose um, priest goes away on a trip to Jerusalem. That's like at the end of his career, the whole town pays for him to go on this trip to Jerusalem and
0: Anyway, many spoilers. Just tell them while he's yeah. there,
1: He, you know, whatever. And so,
0: there, yes. and the new, new priest comes, comes back. to
1: town. Yes. And so, and so <laughs> instead of him, he doesn't come back. The new priest comes and it's the town's reaction to the new priest. But see the town has been longing so long for, for the resurrection and a reformation of their, the faith of the people in the town. And so this new priest miracles start happening. Right. And, People are so mm-hmm. desperate to believe, so desperate for a revival, yeah. so desperate for things to go back to the way they once were and for their faith to return to what they once were, gr- that, which is yeah. born out of their grief over the loss of what once was, that yeah. and their longing is so misdirected that they begin to – things begin they, – they are wanting something in a way that uh, leads to them maybe receiving something that they didn't expect. Um, and think, I mean, mm. that. The, how can we not give spoilers here, Mia? There's so much anyway, at some point we I, need to I, come I, back around because a lot of our members are not going to watch this because it's horror, but there's so much about this yes. show that is a metaphor for the church in America today. You know, um, this, this, how, how are we, we're grieving the loss of what, what's, what once was not just how it mm-hmm. relates to our faith, but look at how the town changes, um, as a result of yeah. this. And you know how individual religious leaders show up in relationship to the people, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot here about longing. That's the thing I'm wondering about Advent for our for our people, for the world now is how do we um, how do we wade through and disentangle the things we're longing for that are unholy and unhealthy from the things that we're longing for that are holy and healthy and we we should be pursuing and preparing for and hoping for and waiting for there are some things that we're longing for that are not not great not helpful we need to acknowledge that so I, anyway that's where i think the, the link are to advent but um
0: yeah i mean it's I definitely i i encourage you to watch in doses i don't know why i decided to watch it all in one day <laughs> oh my god mm-hmm. no it was it was something else. I will say it was something else, demonic forces demonic, at work here. Yes. Um, but I think also, one of the things about the the, the move uh, the limited series was how dark it was. And I literally mean darkness, the, the, um, the, the lighting. Oh, yeah, the lighting was dark. Um, and it seemed like this town had been in this perpetual Lenten mm-hmm. experience.
1: Advent. Or, Advent Advent or Advent experience, Advent.
0: Like, either, either one. Well, I mean, they were in Lent at the time of the movie. Yeah. The movie. Well, started, I think it starts.
1: Right? Yeah, it's it starts early, like in your Mardi Gras season, and then it gets into Lent, and then it goes from Lent to. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yes. 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 Right. So it seems like they've been in this perpetual state, and there has been very limited joy. There's been a lot of pain, and I'm just curious about. I'm curious about some things, right? I'm curious about how does this show up in people's people who have lives that aren't as explicitly painful? Am I making Mm. sense? Maybe we'll get into this in the next episode when we talk about grief and how it shows up, but this was a poor ish Mm. town, right? Island community. I get the sense that they had some turmoil that caused their business to, you know, slow down some lawsuits and some things like that. Um so these people were disenfranchised and I always feel like it is the most disenfranchised and economically disparaged people who are are wow. gullible enough to to be swayed in certain mm-hmm. directions
1: and turn turn to turn um, to a faith they may not understand it might be harmful to them.
0: Yes, and not because they're uneducated but just because under-resourced. I mean like I, you know, I, I have questions. Maybe we can continue this conversation. I have some well, questions I that I want to... Yes, and to let's read. hold
1: this. And we'll, I just want to add one thing here is there is a, there is a, I mentioned this in a sermon that a lot of us don't know where to take our grief, except to mm-hmm. Facebook, which turns our grief into anger and sends us out into the world as violent, violent people, right? Like there are... There are people we now know that Facebook's algorithms are designed to make us hateful. Mm. Either hateful mm. of others or self-hateful. Depends whether you're on Instagram or Facebook. Self-hatred is basically yeah. what Instagram's about. Hatred of others is what Facebook's about. And that's why because it's different. You have groups on Facebook and you don't have groups on Instagram. So it's all about like being self hatred right. And I so there's it, people playing on our grief because we're vulnerable in grief. It doesn't matter how smart we are, how wealthy we are, how educated mm-hmm. we are, where we are socially located. We are vulnerable if we are grieving. And here's the thing, everybody's grieving. They're just grieving different things in different ways. I mean, there's a lot of, Yeah. I think it was the grief, like for instance, I think about Loudoun County and the CRT thing and turning a Virginia to a Republican governor, all because of one county and their panic around CRT and transgender and masks and all that stuff. The parents said that they went from being 83% white county to 46% white in that county in the course of the 10 to 15 year period of time. They're afraid. They're grieving the loss of their white community. And who, gets, mm-hmm. who will play on that? People will always come in to play on the grief. Anytime you lose something, We always think of grief as like the loss of a loved one it's almost it's much more more of our grief is located around the loss of uh experiences things safety a sense of comfort Mm a sense of uh of of our community and who we are my my understanding of my self-identity yeah Yeah. and i think that leads people to to come together and to to react to people somebody coming to their town and saying guess what I've got a cure for all your problems. No, not even that. I have an analysis of how you've lost what you what you've got. What you've lost. I have an analysis mm-hmm. that helps you point your grief in in a particular direction. And and through that direction, you yeah. can do something in the world that'll be helpful to you. And it's just it's it's a false pill, right? It's a it's a placebo. They're not gonna get what they want, yeah. right? But but it it offers this sort of false hope.
0: Yeah. Well, this has be a great ending point and a pickup point for us to start next week. I want to start with Midnight Mass and I'm going to I'm going to do some reflecting because I want to come back. and really take some time to sit with it. I just finished it on <laughs> Saturday. So I'm like, Whew. Um, but I want to sit with that and then talk a little bit more about grief um, and some of the hard things that are happening during yeah, the honest holiday. Yeah. Right. We talked about addiction. We're talking about um Abuse. We we're talking about an yeah. array of issues that also come up. So I want you all to be prepared for that if you choose to listen. Um, this has yeah. been good, Ben. Good, good conversation. I enjoyed it.
1: Thanks, man.
0: Yes. Um, see you soon. See y'all next week. Friends, that was our episode this week. As always, please email your questions and your suggestions to Reverend Mia McLean at mmcclain at myersparkbaptist.org. Until next time, take care. This is Sacred Justice.